Hello, I'm Simon Bowes and this is the Net Hero Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us over the years. And if you've not come across our channel before, let me tell you what we do. The Net Hero Podcast is part of futurenetzero.com, a platform which believes that better business makes a better planet. We're all about people doing things that enable the planet to become more sustainable. That means reducing emissions, that means creating new things and products that we can all live and survive with, because at the end of the day, we can't hold back our development. We want a better planet, and I believe that business is the way for us to get that, by providing us products and services that have a lower carbon profile. And they're the kind of stories that we will be promoting on this channel. If you've seen and listened to our podcast before, you'll know that we've talked to scientists, academics, business people, but we're happy to talk to anyone who's trying to do their bit to make things different. And now, on to this week's episode. Bankers. Yes, you're right, I said bankers. It's that term, isn't it? It's one that people, uh, you know, like I've just done, tongue in cheek, we all know what we think of bankers, but where would we be without them? we'd be finished. Now, some of you are probably too young to remember the crash. And I'm not talking the 1929 one, I'm talking about the one in 2007 and 8, which was probably when we really saw the effect, the importance of banking. And since then, we've obviously had lots more shocks. We've had the pandemic as well. And I suppose one of the things that people sort of, you know, whatever you sit on this thing, Finance, whether we consider the capitalist system wrong, as some people do, and it's not the way to get us to net zero, it certainly is a system we've got. And we've got to make banking work for us, not just as individuals, but also as a society. And banks have an incredibly important job in driving net zero. Now, Future Net Zero's slogan is better business, better planet. And one of the fundamental parts of business is finance. So what does finance and net zero mean? How are we going to make sure that the banks we've got working for us today and in the future will start to back the right projects? How do we make sure that we as businesses can get the right lending? Well, I'm delighted to say to go through some of that today. I'm joined by Heather Buchanan from Bankers for Net Zero. Heather, hello. Hello. I did start tongue-in-cheek with the, with the, uh, the banker phrase, um, but... When you look and you talk to general members of the public, there is a distrust. There's a distrust of journalists, estate agents, and dare I say, bankers. Where do you think that's come from? Well, certainly. I mean, we, we can't. You, you alluded to it earlier. We can't ignore the 2008 great financial crisis that really we're still feeling some of the after effects of. You know, there's still a bit of a hangover from that. And banks have undoubtedly been on the naughty step for the, the better part of a decade after 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 that point. So it's it's not surprising, as you say to, to many of your listeners, may not have um, been kind of old enough to necessarily really have felt the impact at the time. But these things, they do weigh kind of on, on your kind of cultural consciousness. Don't mm. they? And bankers haven't helped themselves in many ways because the culture and I've got friends who are and most of them that I've met are actually pretty decent people you know the idea that they're all kind of like Gordon geckos and you know greed is good perhaps it was in the 80s not so much because there are consequences but this kind of hangover affects the way businesses see banking and also the way that generally kind of society sees banking 
Do you think banks have done enough to try and kind of counteract that? I certainly think they're on the right track right now. Um, ultimately, what's quite interesting, I mean, these are very, very large institutions that take, a, you know, they're, they're kind of large ships that you yes. need to earn, as it were. I mean, I've found the difference in just in speaking with executives, the difference from, say, five years ago is extraordinary now. And I think a lot of that really has been coalescing, coalescing around the net zero agenda, around the commitments that were made um, at Glasgow, at, at COP26. And there, there's really a, a sense of, of purpose um, and, and people wanting to make sure that, that that purpose kind of permeates through the organization. You know, easier said than done, as we know, particularly in, in these in institutions that have built up over, um, over so many kind of decades and centuries. But interestingly, a lot of the drivers now that, you know, not only the commitments that have been made, customers asking, you know, investors asking what, what they're doing, employees getting good talent. People are, you know, everybody's much more aware now. Yeah. And then, of course, most people going home and having their kids ask them what they're doing to, to make sure that things, you know, that's the, the ultimate kind of backstop, isn't it? Uh, is around the dinner table at night. And so I think there there has been an extraordinary shift, but the challenges that come with that mean that it's it's not just the banks that have to change it's the it's the kind of regulatory system that sits around the whole financial system yeah yeah the whole financial system has been designed for a different reality as it were it's been designed for your basic profits and loss and cash flow forecasts and whatnot it's not been designed to include what nature and climate law climate change mean and and that's now starting to get incorporated into financial metrics. So it's it's really interesting, but it's a spectacular amount of of work, kind of repositioning that ship. Tell us a little bit about the, for the viewers and listeners. You know, who are bankers for Net Zero? Is it a group of individuals, or is it institutions? How many members? And what is your aim? So we're a, a member organization. We're not just banks, although we do have you know, some of the the largest banks in the UK and right. worldwide banks such as HSBC and NatWest and Santander. We also have uh, building societies, Ecology Building Society, Triados Bank, um, Aldemar Alica. So they're kind of smaller challenger banks that, that come in. And so we, we've got the financial institution, but we also have advisors and businesses. So the larger corporate advisors, um, Sage, obviously do accounting software and NGOs. So WWF, B3G, academia all in we probably in our kind of tight ecosystem have about 45 to 50 kind of core members and our extended network is is quite large because ultimately finance touches everything yeah of course but but what's the aim you is it just a group who are committed to just funding things that are low carbon or or, or what what is you know a name like that bankers for net zero it kind of says that's where we want to go so it's unfortunately it's a bit more complex than that (laughs) i thought it might be (laughs) As you can imagine, so in at COP twenty six, and and we have to give you know fair credit to to the UK for COP twenty six. Yeah, climate champion Nigel Topping um, and Mark Carney got together, and well, Nigel started a thing called Race to Zero, which was an organization for really pulling in where what's a credible net zero commitment. Um, and then alongside Mark Carney, they started the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, and this is 
the financial, basically the entire financial ecosystem and where credible net zero commitments sit. Within that, um, we convene what the, the UK country chapter of the Net Zero Banking Alliance, and we look at one of the core commitments. And so banks have committed to decarbonizing their finance emissions by 2050, which sounds kind of like a dry and bland thing. But it means that, of course, they're on the hook for understanding and decarbonizing every asset that they've financed. So every single mortgage, every business loan, every small business loan, every corporate loan and the corporate's entire supply chain. And so they need to understand data that they haven't had before. You know, most businesses you'll be used to, if you're going to your bank, you give them your profit and loss, a cash flow forecast, yep. balance sheet. Well, carbon's now going on to that in, in a very basic level. And so this kind of new way of working together is businesses are going to need this just to stand still, never mind to start to decarbonize. So we look at that, we look at all the policy that sits around that. Everything from retrofit policy, which is one of the bigger challenges, to how we make information gathering from SMEs as painless and simple as possible <laughs> so that they can actually get on with the day job. I'm sure that, you know, I always use the example, if you're a farmer and you supply four supermarkets and you've got two bank accounts, you're potentially being asked for six different sets of information in six different formats. Yes. In six different calculators that give you six different answers and so to a certain extent it's a lot of the basics haven't actually been agreed yet so we're working really hard on that making sure that the the smes and the real economy can still speak to the financial economy and then you know this is where things like transition planning comes in so it's not just about financing green projects but how do you support businesses that need to decarbonize and that sometimes requires investment um, otherwise, you know, I would say banks could be net zero tomorrow if they wanted to. They just would need to get rid of all their customers. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's quite a big one. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that um, let's address a couple of the points that are kind of commonly made, which is, you know, we've had green banks. We had the government launch the green bank, which then got, I think, taken over by Macquarie, if I'm right. Um, you know, there's been funding schemes and there are banks doing these projects out there. But the fundamentals are banks still fund the oil and gas industry. And I'm, I'm not someone who says that's evil because frankly, we still need oil and gas. We're going to need that. They fund the nuclear industry. They fund the renewable industry. So when it comes to kind of how banks start to change, that you know, you identify this kind of, you said a culture change, the CEO is a bit more responsive, but they also got to live in the real world. You can't pull the plug on funding oil and gas tomorrow. Otherwise, the whole of the economy would collapse. So mm -hmm. how do you see that balance happening with your members? Because they must be realistic and say, you look, Heather, we know where we want to be. We're nowhere near that. Um, so this is transition planning. And, and again, um, we the UK announced a mandatory transition planning for the larger corporates in, at COP26. And since then, we've had the transition plan task force. And that is really what it is. It is a group of experts are getting together on a sector by sector basis, and as well as cross-cutting and banks for net zero, we've been dealing with the, the SME element for the transition plan task force and looking at that cross-cut. But it's about saying where we are now, you know, having markers in two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and creating a pathway. And then you get measured against that pathway. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. Not only it would be completely unrealistic, we have to think of this as what's called the just transition. Um, just transition can be used for either 
looking externally but internally as well if you've got communities that are built around oil and gas of course yeah that just shut things off there's a whole other level of of what good looks like so it's not even about just even about funding what that energy transition looks like but also reskilling you know looking at the kind of larger social fabric that sits around that so there is a, a lot of work and a lot of thought that's going into this when it comes to that sort of conundrum which is we know where we want to go, but we, we're, we're not there right now. A lot of criticism, as I said, particularly from the left and environmental groups, is, you know, the banks are still profiting from polluters. Okay. Now, that each of them have got their own issues on that, and some have declared publicly they won't do that anymore. But the reality is is kind of different. So is there a feeling amongst your members that... Um, the pressure that can come from certain environmental issues or people, you know, is kind of pushing things in in a beneficial way or in a negative way. Because let's be honest, although there are some crazies, most bankers are fairly conservative in wanting to, you know, how they shift things. So, you know, to suddenly say, right, stop tomorrow and do this, you might have a few people saying, right, okay, well, this is a kind of fringe element of our bank and this is all we're going to do, but the rest of us are doing this. There can be tensions. How are they sorting this out? Because public pressure at the end of the day, as you said at the beginning, you know, what the kids say, what do you do do for a living mum and dad? That can really drive people to take actions which might not be the right thing for long-term financial stability. This is where uh, the... I mean, to, it's a bit of an overused term these days that the radical collaboration pit probably right. comes in. Can you um, explain that to me? Well, so up until, as I say, even kind of three, four, five years ago, there was probably, you'd see a finance industry that was, you know, would respond to financial policy and financial regulation. Yeah. Yep. Kind of everything in line we're having to do a lot more work together kind of with businesses that they're working with set to understand also with government with regulators everybody kind of around the table and ngos around the table as well and this is a really important bit you know these elements because to a certain extent we're all trying to get the same place it's just through different lenses clearly we get to a point where we're going to need that kind of base level of regulation the uk has done it um with its with its net zero agenda, but obviously there's still tensions within when you look at the, the climate change committee's reports that, that come out, it's fairly consistently saying we need to change policy more. And, and yes. accept. so it's not just the, I think the kind of public rhetoric between potentially, you know, finance and the rest of the the world there, there's, it's much more interlinked than then. So ultimately banks are, you know, supposed to be, they've got a, you know, fiduciary duty. So what does that mean in the 21st century? You know, this is when you start getting the lawyers involved. involved. So what is your fiduciary duty? You're, you're a steward of other people's money. Yes. money. So that there's a lot of tensions that, that sit within that system. And I think some of it is more clarity around what fiduciary duty does actually mean. There's interestingly kind of investors seem to have a slightly different view than fiduciary duty in the board. So um, I think one of the interesting things if you look at net zero commitments that have been made, mm-hmm. it, the insurance industry, it's up at kind of 90 something percent. 
Now, of course, you think about the insurance industry has a very long term view on things. So the way that they calculate risk is, is forecast. Then likewise, asset managers just under that, banking sector just under that. And, and then it goes in. But what's interesting is then you look into the real economy element of it. And it's actually very small bits of the population of, of those kind of wider economies that have made those commitments. And yes, of course. And those two, but those two things, you financial economy does not live in isolation of the real economy. So we have to bring those together. Let's talk about as one of the terms people may have heard this ESG. So what is ESG and why is it something that all bankers want to get into? So, I mean, ESG, it's, it's essentially a risk framework, environmental risks, social risks, governance. So it's making sure that the decisions that you made and that you're making at a board level, um, that you've got the appropriate governance structures in place. Yep. You're looking at the environmental impact of your decisions and also the social impact. It, has that become now a modus operandi for banks, do you think? Or is it still kind of only certain banks going, that's our first decision before we make a not just profit and loss? I think it has, it has become fairly kind of embedded, certainly within the UK and in Europe. Right. You know, it, it's highly politicized. It is, yeah. <laughs> in the US and other places. Having said that, it's one of those things where we're kind of flying the plane as we build it in that what the metrics are. I mean, the, even the most, you know, <laughs> how they're measured, everything is still being determined. I mean, even on the environmental side, the most basic element that you would think, which is so electricity data, you know, basic carbon data as it is that one of the projects we're working on project perseus is about kind of using the principles of open banking so you can with a click of a button understand your what, what your kind of carbon data is on a, on a half hourly basis including what sits behind the grid i mean that took we were we're not even the pilot stage yeah <laughs> so you know just getting that in a way that's kind of auditable and assurable data doesn't exist and that seems everybody's like well, we've got a smart meter certainly it's no it's, it's actually much more complicated than that and we're having to shift bits of regulation to make sure that that data can flow so then you know the s element i mean whew, we're not even getting into the s yeah element. exactly what is social how, how you know you know you're exactly. benefiting some people and not other and you know prejudicing others it's very difficult isn't it it's extraordinarily difficult. There's obviously some basics of slavery and the supply chain, that yeah. kind of stuff that everybody's on there, but it's still very nascent. And I think that's, so I'll give you my fun fact um, and apologies. Do. It's heard me here. So 1494 was the first book on modern accounting right. in Italy. So we've had over just over 500 years where we've all gotten used to what what is value and what is risk, you know? It's the bottom line piece. And that has grown up and we know how to talk, cash flow forecast, PL, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, at no point along the way has carbon, climate change, nature depletion, nature restoration, any of these things been built into those metrics. No. You know, much less. I mean, that's just the E side of it, you know, much less starting on, on the S element. And we are now in a matter of years, not even decades, as I say, we've got a few couple decades, but it's not much, in a matter of years, trying to redefine value and risk in a global financial system. I mean, that's not a small task. 
um, and then how that value and risk gets translated into every transactional relationship in the real economy. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of great thinking going on there. Is it, are we fundamentally shifting what banking means? Yes. I think the, the actual the, the economy is, is not just banking, the, the way that we kind of trend transact in the global markets is fundamentally shifting right i was in new york for new york climate week yeah and the the launch of the kind of um tnfd which is essentially just the metrics of kind of how you how you value nature and balance sheet and stuff was launched on the floor of the new york stock exchange and it was quite extraordinary being in essentially the the, the greatest kind of icon of bastion of capitalism yes talking about nature and how we uh-huh. discussed and all those screens were filled with lovely <laughs> fish and sorts of things going but it, it's a fundamental shift that's happening and again when you speak with the kind of you know the mike bloomberg's of the world and the large you know yeah really influencers of the global economy it's not nobody's talking about if anymore or even when it's all about, it started to happen, the ship's turning, it's how we do it and how we do it in a controlled way. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And I think that's probably, I think most people would probably see that. Let's let's talk about some uh, fundamental things, which probably the audience would be interested in. A lot of the big boys have had people they can call up and they'll talk to them. They've got strategies and they have boards. What about SMEs? What about people like us? You know, even micro businesses, you know, where we want to do the right thing. But frankly, we have no contact with our bank, you know, except when they send us a letter to say, oh, you're overdrawn, you've got that. There doesn't seem to be any kind of emphasis on the vast majority of businesses, which are the small businesses that employ, you know, 90% of the people in this country to bring them on this journey. So that, you know, if I go down the road here, my vision chip shop, my hairdresser, the little corner news agent, they probably haven't got a clue what's going on. And frankly, no one seems to want to bother talking to them. Why have we got that wrong? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, to a certain extent, SMEs have probably been put in the too difficult bucket ah. for, for too long. It's a disparate group. They're time poor. They don't, you know, how do you engage? And, they don't, and the banks don't make much money out of us. That's the and thing, isn't so, it? So one of the, so, but there is work going on. So, um everybody's agreeing actually we do need to figure figure this out you said that there are you know it's it's difficult is it because we're just not profitable the smaller ones so banks haven't given enough time to this not necessarily because i think it's not just banks in in this case you know it, like, so there's a role for government in terms of dissemination of information yeah if you look at the sme climate hub that was something that was again a lot I've looked at it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> there have been kind of attempts along the way to kind of bring this together. The Broadway Initiative, again, working with, with government on these things. This is a lot of what we're looking for with the Project Perseus that we're doing, is how do we, always, if you think about how everything's started, it's been very top-down. It has, it's absolutely. FD, blah, blah, blah. and it's almost like you've got kind of your larger corporates and financial institutions, they've got their metrics and their frameworks and and the guidance then is just to be, oh, just kind of be proportionate with your SMEs. Well, mm. SMEs getting, you know, 20 different versions of proportionate. So our kind of thoughts and approach on this has been, well, let's step back rather than 
all the gold-plated reporting and trying to strip away the gold, let's step back and say, what are the material points you actually need to know? Because actually for most SMEs, it's probably only a few, you know, it's it's your energy and your water and your transport. It, it's it. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. So if we can actually strip all that back and say, well, what, what are the nuts and bolts that we need in, in the kind of the framework? And then let's start building up. And of course, depending on what industry you're in and depending on how many employees you have, the complexity will start to increase. But let's start at a foundational point because up to now, it's almost like we've got this top-down pressure and the pressure's onto shifting sands. And it's the SMEs that are kind of bearing the brunt of that. Uh, so it's it's absolutely recognized that there's a, a difficulty. And I think there's a lot of work also going on in kind of making sure that we're more place-based. And so we're also working with the likes of the ICAW, because of course, if you're an SME, what's your probably your first professional kind of expenditure or investment you make is going to be in an accountant, an advisor. And so of course. And it's not just about the banking sector, it's about making sure that we've got consistency coming from what your accountant may be telling you, what's your software package for your accounting software is telling you, what your bank's asking for, and also what your customers who might be larger corporates are, are asking for and getting yes. that continuity. So that we're not there yet, but I would say we're not. I don't think we're near it. Anywhere near so we are. Watch this space. <laughs> watch this space. Okay, fair enough. Let's, you know, before we end, a couple of quick things. Loans. Every business needs loans. We've had some. Will we see more loans being given uh, based on what your carbon profile is of your business in the future? Um, I think it's probably inevitable um, and also probably around pricing. And there'll be, and uh, again, this is some place where the government will, I would anticipate at some point, you know, as they're looking at different types of incentives, obviously, whether that's kind of guaranteed loans, whatnot. Yep, bonds, yeah. Back to the data bit and being able to find the, the, the right data, how to kind of track and measure those and measure those in an accurate way of the carbon is, it's still a work in progress. And the more accurate we get with that, the better the pricing we'll get, we'll get and the more competitive the market will get. I was at COP in Glasgow and I talked to lots of people. And the one thing I kept saying, and people were saying, yes, yes, but no one actually said it's going to happen, is carbon accounting. When will we put a price on carbon? When will banks go, right, there's a carbon market, here's the price, and then you can account for actually that box of pens was two quid in carbon. You know, that bunch of paper, that oil I use for frying my chips was this much carbon. When are we going to get to that? I would say it was, we are not far away from that. Um, being really? Carbon. And it's, it's, we're naturally getting to that stage. So you think there will be a global kind of carbon, the same there is for, you know, gold or oil or whatever, we'll have, right, this is what carbon costs. Yes, and I think, well, there, there was one of the greater disappointments of the last COP was even in voluntary carbon markets that there isn't, there wasn't regulation around that. Mm. Uh, there wasn't an agreement to really start to coalesce around that. So uh, I, I would say that was one of the blaring issues that, that, that came out of the last one is the fact that, say, the carbon markets are all over the place. They're unregulated, very much like yeah, the wild so, so those calls for more standardization, I mean, across the board, standardization, getting to understand is getting stronger and stronger. So it, it's an, it, for me, it's certainly inevitable. The UK is where Bankers for Net Zero is based, and that's the market you look at. But we live in a global connected uh, eco economy. 
So what's the appetite for something like this in Asia? America, for God's sakes, you know, America has differences in states, let alone, uh, yes. you know, across the thing. Um, Australasia, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southern Africa, you know, the Middle East. You kind of need the funding everywhere to do this. Otherwise, again, it's like the, uh, you know, the adage of, well, we're trying to cut some emissions here, but no one else gives a damn. Mm -hmm. Where are we about kind of financial institutions globally looking to say there is a value to the cost and the natural value of cost to everything we do. Then, so, so that is, this is definitely happening on a global scale. It is okay, um, right? Absolutely. Caveat in there: I think that the most resistance is certainly coming from North America. Okay, I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, I, I think people would be quite surprised. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in Peru, Colombia. Very forward thinking, right? Uh, you know, uh, globally, there, there's a great deal of work, but it's unfortunately, particularly the terming SG itself, you know, much less just basic carbon accounting, has become a very loaded political It's polarizing, uh, isn't it? Issue. It's been, and so I think we've been quite fortunate in the UK in that we've had a bit of noise around it. Actually, you know, we're slightly less, less prone to the kind of extremes of hysteria that, that have have gone on elsewhere but this is happening globally and there's a recognition globally and this is you know it's okay gfan is a global financial alliance glasgow financial alliance for net zero um could easily just as easily be called the global financial alliance for net zero because it is an, an international movement and we work closely with the likes of oecd and apec and the world energy council international chambers of commerce so we're definitely not operating in a bubble here. Having said that, I think that as with everything, there are so many different taxonomies and taxonomies are naturally going to be in different jurisdictions. It is, it's everybody trying to kind of coalesce and get to the same point. Yeah, that, 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 that's, it's a difficult one. Okay, let's jump forward in my time machine taxi. 2049, we've got mm -hmm. one year to go. Do we have an international carbon finance market? Do we have banks lending based on your carbon footprint? Do we have businesses like myself now knowing how much carbon is in the goods and services we buy? Or are we still yes. a long way away from that, even though that's kind of, you know. I, I would say that's got, I mean, at that level, it's got to be earlier. I mean, if we're only just figuring that out in 2049, it's way too late. Right. So we need action in the next five years? Oh, absolutely. How likely? <laughs> banks bankers are always good at risks and uh, and i know you're not directly in the bank but how much money would you put on it that we got it ready by then by the end of the decade oh. so i'm a pathological optimist <laughs> that's good i like it so um one thing i would say when i when i look at where we were just a couple of years ago at cop 26 at, at just making commitments and the, the yeah. kind of a shock orders are and where we are now just two years later it is extraordinary so i think we have to give humans a bit of credit for when they put their minds to something and, and work together they can actually get quite creative I, again a lot of it's getting the the actual system aligned to, to make sure the money flows because we're not going to get where we need to be without private finance i mean no, that's of course yeah governments cannot afford that at all um there's you know i think we in terms of global kind of decarbonization to get to where we need to be 
by 2050, we need about $275 trillion to flow. And that's that's not a small sum of sum of cash. Not even uh, Elon's got that in his back pocket. So yeah, exactly, not even <laughs> Elon. <laughs> and certainly, you know, certainly the governments don't. So how how we kind of do what's called blended finance, making sure that you've got this sharing of risk between finance, insurance, yes. governments. And the business, yeah, absolutely. Private equity, together way that we're going to accelerate and do the big projects that need to get done thank you for your time Heather. it's been really interesting this podcast because i think it's one of those things that people do not think about enough is the finance you know we always think about kind of wind turbines and evs and things like that but it's the money that makes happen i hope your optimistic view is correct um but in in terms of the short term what are the goals for bankers of net zero in the next couple of years what what do you want to achieve so our, our project first is getting getting to a point where SMEs have some very clear guidance on measurements that we've got consistent measurement that all kind of measuring the same thing first and foremost. Because without that, we're we're tinkering around the edges. Yeah. So that's probably a, a big number one, and then a very kind of close second on that, but just as important is looking at things like. EPC ratings, and again, so it's back to measurement. It's how we measure yeah. energy efficiency of, of buildings and homes and whatnot, because that's what assets are financed on. And again, they're very, they're still quite blunt objects, and we need to get much more sophisticated. Because then, so once we have that, I mean, most SMEs, their premises will be their biggest thing. You know, so how do you break it down and be able to make a plan that means that you can start chipping away at things rather than right now it all just seems a bit too much and a bit too confusing so really kind of getting back to the basics so we can start to build from the ground up well i hope your uh, plans come to fruition because i think well it is you know without the finance nothing's going to happen uh heather buchanan from uh, bankers for net zero thank you for joining us on the net hero podcast what's your thoughts on this are you in the banking industry what do you see happening in your workplace drop us a line you can get in touch on social media or email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Stay tuned for the next episode coming up in a week's time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. FutureNetZero.com. Better business, better planet.